Join APTA this October for Transcend. This virtual event will explore different perspectives of the six biggest questions facing the public transit industry in the year ahead. Topics will include the long-term impacts of COVID-19, bringing riders back, putting equity in the forefront, changing landscape of cities, policing in a new era, and more. Don't miss out on hearing from thought leaders, exchanging ideas, and connecting with peers. Learn more and register for APTA's Transcend virtual event at APTA.com. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Transit Authority, the official podcast of the American Public Transportation Association. My name is David Carroll. I am Chief Operating Officer for APTA. Recently, the U.S. passed the grim milestone of more than 200,000 deaths as a result of the disease caused by the novel coronavirus. One of the important questions from the beginning of this pandemic straight through to today particularly as a nation strives to restart its economy, is the role, if any, of transit in spreading the virus. To cut to the chase, the question is whether it is safe to ride transit. To answer that question, APTA asked the New York consulting firm Sam Schwartz to review global data and research to determine whether there is, in fact, a correlation between riding transit and transmission of the disease. The result of that study has now been released in a document entitled Public Transit and COVID-19 Pandemic, Global Research and Best Practices. With me today is Sam Schwartz, founder and CEO of Sam Schwartz Consulting, and Dan Schack, who works for Sam Schwartz Consulting and was the lead author for the study. So welcome, Sam and Dan. Let me begin by asking for a short introduction who is Sam Schwartz Consulting? Okay, uh, thank you, David. It's, it's it's very good to be here. Uh, first of all, who's Sam Schwartz? I myself, I have about 50 years experience working in transportation, including traffic and transit planning, engineering, and science. And in 1995, started a company, Sam Schwartz Consulting, about 150 people uh, throughout the country. And we do a lot of work in the transit sphere as well as traffic. And we also do a good deal of research. We are engineers, scientists, planners, data analysts, uh, and we're expert in the field of land transportation. That's great. So let's get to the nub. So the coronavirus hit us in February and March, and cases of COVID-19 began a meteoric rise in New York in particular by early March. Why was the media so quick to paint transit as a major spreader of the coronavirus back in March and April? Yeah, Dave, the uh, coronavirus hit New York City particularly hard, and it hit New York City at the very beginning. And it is likely because so many people passed through New York City, international travelers uh, and travelers from around the country. We average more than a million visitors every single week to the city. So it is not unusual that New York City would be first, uh, but because it was New York City, 
uh, almost immediately people said, what's different about New York City? Uh, the density and also people take the subways. And there were a number of uh, studies done not by scientists. And most of the ones we reviewed uh, were that uh, concluded that transit was a factor were done by economists who made the, the error that, that students learn in probability and statistics 101 when they look at a correlation graph between eating ice cream and drowning. And you find that there seems to be a close correlation because both peak during the summertime and one can conclude eating ice cream leads to drowning. But the fact that the virus hit New York City first, people said, what's different about New York City? Well, it has a subway system, so therefore the subways seeded the virus. Almost immediately, Dave, I began looking at the research and found, gee, it was happening in Staten Island at a greater rate than it was happening in New York City, uh, in, in the rest of New York City, in the five boroughs. And in fact, the suburbs of New York City had higher case rates than New York City itself. In fact, the first outbreak in New York City was in one of our suburbs. And these, in Staten Island and in the suburbs, there's very low transit ridership and particularly subway ridership. So, uh, you know, if one looked at the data, found that the highest areas that with case rates had nothing to do with riding transit. In fact, one could have made the opposite ice cream argument that it was cars. What it really came down to is how not how people traveled, but what they did. Essential workers continued to travel. Essential workers were at greater risk during that period, particularly the March-April outbreak. And the essential workers, whether they were driving or in cars, had a higher case rate. And then we continued with the study that, that we did, and we found that of the top metropolitan areas in the country uh, that have the highest case rates, Almost none of them have any transit to speak of or very little transit. New York City is, is now rates as a metropolitan area about 108th in the country. So the virus has spread everywhere, sadly, to uh, suburban areas, rural communities, um, small cities, small towns with or without transit. We found it had little or nothing to do with transit. Obviously, um, perception uh, can, in fact, become reality, and allegations that transit was a major spreader uh, hits transit agencies uh, very, very hard. Um, transit agencies, their, their first priority must be to protect their riders and their employees. And so a definitive answer on this issue of correlation, as you've laid out, is, is really critical, particularly on a global experience basis, given how much more quickly some international commuter rail systems uh, uh, ramped back up after the initial uh, COVID-19 virus hit. Your study, which APTA commissioned, has just recently been published. How did you go about analyzing the correlation between the use of transit and transmission of the virus? Daniel. Well, uh, David, we tried to go into this with clear heads and no preconceptions about what we would find and really let the science and data guide all of our conclusions and, and analysis. So it began with a team of, of planners helping with this, began with an exhaustive 
research effort into the current scientific knowledge of how the virus is spread. And it's an evolving science. So, we, you know, we found differences in what was understood from, you know, from March through uh, June when we started this this study. We also spoke to several experts in public health and epidemiology from some large hospitals and, and universities around the country to get their thoughts and opinions on it and also get their direction on what the most reliable scientific sources are. Then we really dug into data for a sampling of cities around the country. We looked at actual numbers from March through August of how many people were riding transit day by day and compare that to infection rates day by day. Uh, we did that for eight different cities, starting with New York, but we also wanted to look at a, a big geographic sampling. So smaller cities like Hartford, Connecticut and um, suburban Kentucky outside of Cincinnati to places in the West like Salt Lake City and San Francisco. Then we examined what the best practices are around the world for what transit agencies and, and city officials are doing to control infection and found a lot of variation in different countries and different cities, but also differences in statistics with what uh, places like South Korea might be doing versus Austria, for instance. And as the European and Asian countries have ramped up, what's been the experience? Has has there been an uptick in, in COVID cases resulting from the increased use of transit? Well, we, we looked at uh, transit usage around the world and the relationship with COVID. Uh, as Dan mentioned, we spoke to scientists. Uh, we interviewed uh, epidemiologists, virologists, uh, public health experts, and uh, scientists have been looking at this particular issue. They have found no COVID-19 outbreaks that could be directly linked to public transit. That includes Paris, uh, Vienna, uh, Seoul, Hong Kong, all around the world, there has been, where there has been a, a fair amount of contract uh, tracing, contact tracing, they have not found any outbreaks. Uh, here, where I'm based in New York City since uh, June 1st, uh, we've had about 200 million people taking rides on our subway and our buses, and the COVID rate has, in fact, dropped. It has dropped consistently, and we've hovered about 1% uh, for almost uh, two and a half months. Uh, we found the same thing, no relationship when we look throughout the U.S. and San Francisco, uh, Salt Lake City, Columbus, Ohio, Austin, other places, no correlation at all. Uh, what when we've uh, looked at the research, one of the conclusions people have is, uh, scientists have, is that the clusters occur where people talk, where they talk loudly, where they may sing. And so they're finding the clusters are coming from bars, uh, restaurants, houses of worship. They're not finding it from transit, and it seems to be independent of the mode uh, that people uh, travel in. Um, and it, it appears that it is, it is most likely to be aerosols and droplets uh, rather than touching surfaces. And I know the transit systems have been spending a lot of time doing cleaning, and that is also good. But there is another reason uh, we have not seen the outbreaks. Of course, the virologists and others point to the lack of talking on transit facilities, but it's also much of urban transit does have uh, frequent ventilation, even if it's just with the doors opening and closing. 
And I know on the New York subway system, while the recommended ventilation is an air replacement every 12 times an hour, and on the subway system, it is 18 times an hour. So it seems like transit vehicles uh, are not likely to be spreaders of the virus if people are wearing masks. It really comes down to that. In your report, you emphasize heavily the value of face coverings. And and this uh, almost every transit system across America requires them. Do these, in fact, mitigate the need for physical spacing, which obviously can be very difficult on on transit on buses and trains? Yes, and um, we found. You know, I, I interviewed myself, maybe uh, half a dozen public health experts. Um, we've done exhaustive research into scientific studies. There's there's pretty much universal consensus that um, when everyone is wearing a face mask, they're very effective at both controlling the source, uh, spreading out of a disease from a sick person, and protecting the wearer. And there are certain types of masks that are more effective at protection, like an N95 mask, um, but those are in short supply and important to be reserved for healthcare workers, other essential workers. Um, But... What the studies have shown is that as long as everyone is wearing a face mask, um, there's very low risk of infection, even in an enclosed space like a, like a transit vehicle. So uh, on transit, physical distancing, we keep hearing about uh, staying six feet apart, isn't always possible. Um, but the studies have shown that if all the riders, if, if the, the workers on the train, the, the bus driver are wearing masks, there's a very low risk of spreading infection. Um, there was actually a study that we cited in our report. It, it's not for um, transit, but there was a instance in um, the U.S. where two sty- hairstylists were found to be um, infected with COVID-19. Um, and over the course of a week, they saw 139 clients in the salon. However, they they didn't know they were infected. They were wearing masks um, all the time at work, and they required that all their customers wear masks um, in the salon, and there were no infections caused by their interaction. Um, your, your findings are, are um, frankly, a godsend to the transit agencies um, because we've all been concerned about uh, the safety of our employees and obviously of our riders, and, and we're working very hard now uh, as an industry to bring uh, people back. Um, since you completed your report uh, several weeks ago. Has anything changed that you are aware of that uh, that that uh, uh, would change the findings that you have, that there is no correlation between riding transit and the transmission of the disease? Um, nothing that we've seen has, has come out that would change what our findings are. Um, one thing that, you know, everything's moving so quickly now. Um, one thing we had assumed and what all the experts were telling us was that um, the disease can be spread um, most easily through aerosols. That's now, since the report, uh, been officially adopted by the CDC, which further shows the critical importance of wearing masks, uh, especially in, in an indoor setting. Um, and, you know, if anything, the since the completion of the report, our findings have been bolstered by the data. So in New York City, for instance, um, transit ridership is still increasing steadily, um, not at not back to pre-pandemic levels, but um, getting closer and closer to that every week. 
while the positivity rate, the, the test positivity rate for COVID-19 has been hovering around 1% for several months now. And we, you know, for our own interest track this, um, have still not found any cases linked to public transit um, anywhere in the U.S. or around the world. Well, that's fantastic news. Let's take a moment for a short break and then continue our conversation with Sam and Dan. Did you know that Apta conducts peer reviews for its members on a broad range of issues such as operations, safety, organizational efficiency, and more? Even in the COVID-19 era, our peer review program is able to assist by offering virtual options. Visit apta.com and learn more about this valuable member resource. All right, we're back. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Transit Authority. I'm here today with Sam Schwartz and Dan Schack of Sam Schwartz Consulting, uh, discussing uh, their recent study on whether there is a correlation between the transmission of the coronavirus uh, while riding transit. Um, a number of recent surveys uh, regarding plans to return to work um, identify employee concerns about commuting as a result for not yet returning to work. A uh, number of uh, companies um, are saying their their employees are concerned, and it's one reason that they're not uh, returning yet back to the office. Based on your findings, should this be a real concern? So, Sam, a number of recent surveys regarding plans to return to work by employers um, in a number of our cities identify uh, concerns of their employees about commuting uh, as a reason for not yet returning back to the office. Based on your findings, should this be a concern? And uh, is there a concern that if employees don't take public transit, uh, there will be growing congestion uh, and use of single occupancy vehicles on our roads? You know, we've concluded that uh, the probability of contracting the virus is absolutely independent of the mode of travel. It's really what you do at, at the ends of your trip. And that's why it's important for employers at their places of business to ensure that there is social distancing, that people are wearing masks when they can't social distance, that there is good ventilation. Uh, there are plenty of risks associated with driving over taking public transit. We know that the fatality rate on a per mile basis is 20 times greater uh, in a car than it is by taking public transit. Uh, not to say there's no risk in, in any mode, in any way you travel, there's a risk in every single thing that we do. But there is a real risk to us as a society now that if we avoid public transportation in large numbers, we will just encourage uh, more people to be driving. That means far more congestion. It means far more crashes, far more fatalities. It means accelerating uh, carbon footprint, global warming, and increasing pollution. So the health aspects are quite serious. We have to look at this long term and we have to make sure that our public transit systems are healthy if we as a people are to remain healthy. Uh, as, a, as a New Yorker, Sam, and, and certainly given your, your prior roles with the city of New York and in, 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 uh, in transportation uh, in the city, 
what would happen if transit does not come back to its uh, um, ridership levels uh, pre-COVID and people actually start driving more frequently into the city? Is that even, is that even possible? You know, uh, Dave, we've actually studied that, not as part of, this, part of this report, but we have done a spreadsheet model. And right now, the ratio of people coming into Manhattan's central business district, the economic engine of the city and of, of the world, which includes Wall Street and Midtown, uh, the ratio is three to one, meaning for every three people taking transit, there's one person driving. So anytime you change that ratio, 1% changes in transit, it's another three added to that 25% that take uh, that drive. Uh, if only 10% of the people switch, we have massive, massive traffic jams. We are already seeing with Midtown Manhattan and the financial district at relatively low occupancy levels, traffic jams on our highway system that look pretty much like pre-COVID. So there is a real risk to crippling our cities if we perpetuate this myth that transit is far more dangerous than driving or is uh, the spreader of the virus. It just isn't true based on all the research that we've done. Well, that's great to hear. Um, other than masks, what, what else can passengers do to minimize exposure to the coronavirus while using transit? What, what can you advise them based on the best practices that you've seen around the world? When we did our data analysis of, of different cities in the U.S. and then looking around the world, um, the most important thing is the community infection rate. So if your neighborhood, or if your, your city or town are experiencing an outbreak, then every activity is at higher risk. Um, if it's not, then the risk is lower regardless of of riding transit or not. Um, but what we found for riding transit and really any kind of um, close proximity or indoor activity is wearing a mask is uh, incredibly effective. Um, the scientific studies have, have shown that, studies of different countries that have mask mandates versus ones that don't have all kind of come to the same conclusion that masks are incredibly effective at controlling the spread. Um, if you personally have an N95 mask, you, you should wear it on transit, but cloth face coverings have been proven to be effective at controlling the spread as long as everyone is wearing them. Um, and the, the other thing to be mindful of um, is surface contamination. So just remembering um, to wash or disinfect your hands before, both before and after riding transit um, with soap and water or, or hand sanitizer, and to avoid touching your face, um, especially your, your eyes, nose, or mouth, um, if you haven't washed your hands or disinfected your hands yet. And finally, uh, what, what everyone um, should be reminded of is that if you are infected or you suspect you might be infected, you should not be riding transit. Well, what you've what you've just ex explained, uh, uh, we have actually used at APTA to create a new program called the APTA Health and Safety Commitments Program, which awards a health and safety seal, a seal of good approval of sorts, to transit agencies that commit to a specific set of practices, much as you just outlined, that are uh, we believe necessary to protect riders and employees. A key element of this commitment. Um, 
is that writers have to do their fair share of, of this as well. It's not just a transit responsibility, but it's also a transit writer responsibility. And as you've said, by wearing face masks and avoiding talking while on board, physical distancing where possible. From your research, do you find that writers understand that safety is a joint responsibility? Is this and is this more understood in Europe and Asia than here, or or is it uh, to, to writers everywhere seem to understand this? Yeah, Dave, I, I've traveled throughout Europe uh, and Asia, South America, and other places, but to, particularly in Europe and Asia, I find and and I said this way before the virus. Uh, that there is a greater adherence, belief, uh, compliance with science than I find in the United States. Uh, and and that, that is in so many different areas. Uh, and you will see that there is a great movement that occurs in the planning that goes on in European cities in which uh, the goal of that planning is often health goals to reduce pollution, to reduce carbon footprint, to uh, make sure that people are active enough. The more driving you do, the less active you are. Inactivity diseases is a major killer in the United States and, in fact, worldwide. So, you know, I'm, I, I'm sorry to report that large parts of the United States are not adhering uh, to mask wearing, uh, but my understanding is in a lot of transit systems, they are. In the New York City subway system, surveys are about 90, 92% compliance. I'd love to see it get up to 100% compliance, but uh, over 90 is is a very good rate considering our uh, infection rate is about 1% right now. So the probability of contracting the virus by riding transit is extremely low if everybody was wearing a mask, and remember, you're not wearing a mask just for yourself. In fact, you're wearing the mask for the other person. And I wish we got that across. So I hear too often, if I'm watching television or hearing interviews of people, they say, well, uh, you know, it's uh, my life. I can do what I want with it. But it's, it's as if you're driving recklessly. You know, you may not hit that pedestrian on the street or you know you you may not get killed when you hit that pedestrian on the street or run into another car but it's the same thing with a mask you are protecting others when you wear the mask um i and we found from surveys the northeast mask use is much higher and and parts of the west but it's lower in the plains in the south and i hope uh, transit agencies uh, in those areas don't have to struggle to convince people how important mask wearing is. Based on your experience uh, in transit and and having watched uh, uh, so closely over the last six or seven months, what what do you think will stick after COVID is is gone? Will will transit agencies continue, or do they need to continue to focus as heavily as they do now on on the cleaning and disinfecting? Are there advances that could be made in, in ventilation technology? What do you think is a, is a lesson coming out of, uh, of, of our experience? Well, in the research that we've done, uh, we found that fomites, the touching of surfaces, is not as significant as aerosols and droplets. 
So we may be scrubbing and over cleaning. I know people appreciate it when they, they get on the subway in, in New York City. They say they've never seen it cleaner and absolutely appreciate that cleanliness. I think the effort has to be and the energy on ventilation. Uh, we're fortunate the ventilation system that we have uh, in, in New York City, and I believe in a lot of transit system, rail systems in particular, are as high or higher than what is recommended by uh, the American Society of Heating and uh, Refrigeration Engineers, which is the leading organization on ventilation, is actually higher than are being used in medical facilities, which are typically uh, 12 times an hour, and we're seeing up to 18 times an hour. Buses, we're going to have to see uh, work on the ventilation system. And buses, less on recirculation mode. Uh, the more opening of windows, the better. Uh, you know, the frequency of stops actually does help. So I believe the emphasis will go from dealing with the fomites, doing the, the cleaning, less of that, and more on the ventilation systems. Uh, thank you. So let me just ask one last question before we wrap up. Um, do you ride transit now and do you feel safe using it? Yeah, I am returning to work and uh, there are two modes that I will choose to return to work. It's subway and bicycle. Fortunately, I am within biking distance of my office, but I can as easily take a subway. So I'd say it's probably going to be 60 to 40 subway to bike. Thank you, Sam. Daniel, how about you? I am still working from home, actually, so I don't commute regularly on the subway anymore like I used to every day. But I've ridden the the train here in New York uh, several times in the past couple of months. The first time I was definitely apprehensive, but eventually I started to feel pretty comfortable. Uh, you know, I'd say nearly every other rider has a mask on. The trains are not crowded like they were before anymore. So it's easy to kind of keep uh, some distance between yourselves and, and other riders. And the trains are the cleanest I've ever seen them. You know, as Sam was saying, I don't, uh, we don't know if that does as much to protect from the virus, but it definitely makes myself and I think other riders feel good being on the subway and seeing them that well taken care of. Well, we're just about out of time here, uh, but this report um, completed by Sam Schwartz Consulting called Public Transit and COVID-19 Pandemic Global research and best practices can be found on the APTA website, and we encourage uh, everyone to read that. Uh, before saying goodbye, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Transit Authority, APTA's official podcast. And of course, I want to give a special thanks to our guests, Sam Schwartz and Daniel Schack. Thank you, everyone.